to Retail Recorded by Colliers. I'm your host, Angie Solanke, National Director of Retail Services for the U.S. And again, we always thank you for joining us as we continue these very insightful podcast uh, series um, and hearing from some of our amazing experts within our industry. And so today, it's all about real estate law and the legalities around what we're seeing in a post-pandemic lease-related world, uh, looking at lease language, changes as it relates to omni-channel, how do you look at sales, qualify sales, etc. Now, today we have Ken Valinotti joining us from Valinotti, Specter and Dito here in San Francisco, California. And Ken has really spent the majority of his career focused around real estate law, specifically in the retail space, and working with Ken on various projects and really understanding it more from a conceptual perspective really takes precedence in how we look at solving for the negotiations and assessing the language and legality around various lease language. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. I'm quite excited to ask Ken a whole host of questions because there's probably at least 30 questions out there that I know of that have been that have been keeping me up at night for sure. So Ken, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure, thank you. So Ken, with that, um, if you could maybe briefly just really describe a little bit about, you know, how you see real estate law leases changing as it relates to language and your core focus in the retail space, you know, expand a little bit about, um, you know, your role and your role as part of a team. Right. Well, a lot of the changes that I have noticed in the last couple of years are obviously have been driven by this pandemic. And some of the areas in commercial leasing that have been, I think, in my opinion, most drastically affected would include such things, for example, as most directly the force majeure clauses. You're seeing... um, what used to be a clause that was hardly given any attention now becoming a major focus. And uh, the changes that I'm seeing, for example, include definitional changes that now tenants particularly are trying to define force majeure type incidences to include pandemics, epidemics, governmental shutdowns. And then uh, there's a series of negotiations that flow from that in terms of if any of those events occur, what rent abatement or deferment provisions would be allowed. Um, The good news on this from the landlord's perspective is recently uh, this issue is starting to diminish. In fact, in the last two deals that I've done, uh, the retailers in those cases have come back and said, uh, we're not worried about the force majeure uh, because we were pushing back from the landlord perspective and they actually walked away from those provisions. And I'm starting to see a lot of softening now on that. Other issues um, I'm seeing, and maybe as a result of the pandemic or not, I'm seeing a lot of push for tenants to get co-tenancy protection rights, uh, early termination rights based on some threshold of gross sales if they're not matched, uh, as well as 
changes that are happening with delivery dates and rent commencement dates and delays that are associated with that primarily because of COVID-19. We're seeing uh, it take a lot more time, for instance, for tenants to get permits. And so there's going to be some flexibility that needs to be negotiated in those types of provisions instead of just hard, cold dates. So it's almost a um, trickle-down effect as it relates to, you know, uh, permit contingencies, rent commencement, day-for-day delay, uh, et cetera, with some sort of sunset clause purely because of some of the challenges retailers are facing with trying to get either their um, their plans approved by the city due to the city having staff shortages or, and in some cases, they may not even have a, a, uh, a, a plan check department. Um, and it's going to a third party. So, you know, a lot of what you're sharing, do you feel that this is a, hopefully a temporary, you know, call it solution and or that um, once we hopefully get back to a a slightly, you know, routine review um, in terms of just permits and construction related issues, that that may tend to go away? Or is there kind of a a win-win where both the landlords and the retailers see this as a challenge today and they're they're trying to come together to be more open-minded. Well, I, I think I think this is largely driven by the impact that this has had on city permit agencies. What used to take, for example, traditionally three or four months for a tenant to get permitting, now I'm seeing it take, in some cases, six months and longer. We have some tenants who are still trying to get permits after diligently pursuing them. It's coming up on a year. And it's not through any fault of the tenant or the landlord. Uh, it, it relates to mostly the governmental approval process and the slowdowns that are occurring there. Now, I'm hoping you know, that that gets cleaned up, that uh, over time when we get back to normal in the sense that people are showing up at offices and working in city governmental agencies. For a long time, they were doing this or trying to do this uh, online. And you have to schedule appointments. You'd have to schedule appointments, which would take weeks to get a scheduled appointment. And it was just a really ineffective procedure. I think that's changing. It's starting to loosen up. And I'm hopeful that uh, in the next, you know, by the end of this year, we could be back to the three or four month time for permits. That's what I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know that in, in some other solutions we've seen across the U.S. is, you know, uh, the retailers identifying an expediter on their end to help push the process through um, and to assist in any way and or, you know, having key stakeholders of that project reach out to the city officials to see what they can do to assist in fast tracking. So um, definitely it is a all hands approach. Now, when we look at, um, you know, the changes we're seeing uh, as it relates to certain lease clauses, you know, there's another one that definitely keeps me up, (laughs) keeps me up at night. And, um, you know, so many of our, you know, my conversations with either the landlords and or the retailers and brokers as well um, has been around sales and Sales related to does a retailer or a, you know, call it a restaurateur, um, quick serve, should they be sharing 
or including, I should say, their sales for um, a sale that's been generated from a mobile device or any device, so online, and is either picked up at the store or delivered through some sort of third-party app like you know, Uber Eats, DoorDash, etc. And this one, you know, there hasn't been a very, you know, specific or, you know, strict, this is how it's done. And so I'm just curious what your point of view will be. The easiest argument for the landlord are the situations where no matter where that sale occurs, you know, whether Sally's sitting on her couch or in the store, if somehow that sale is run through the tenant's point of sale system, it's run up in their cash register system or it's documented as a sale in some other fashion at that store, that's the easy argument. The other one would be a little more difficult, but still compelling in my mind, is where there is a terminal, for instance, um, in the store where somebody gets on because maybe that blouse she wants isn't in the store, but there's a terminal where she can order that blouse in the store. And maybe even a sales assistant is there helping her do that. I think there's an argument that that's a sale. Um, I, I just, for an example of that, by the way, I just did a lease with a Tesla, um, one of their uh, facilities where they maintain the sale of new and used Tesla vehicles. And when you walk into this 56,000 square foot premises, they have maybe one or two cars. And what people do is they walk into that showroom and they go on a computer terminal and they buy the car on the computer. Okay. And that's to me a very similar concept. If you walk into any type of store and you're on the terminal buying that, that should be included if it was done in that store. The other one I mentioned was if somehow any of the goods that Sally buys are fulfilled from that tenant's inventory at that store, those, I think, are the more compelling arguments why gross sales should be included. The other ones, the examples I cited would be where the premises may not be the primary source of that sale but it was an incidental source in a case, for example, where the product that Sally ordered online and paid for online is shipped to that store for her to go pick it up. And the more activity that you get from your tenant in that process, such as, for example, not only is that product being stored there, but also a sales rep is calling Sally and telling her your product is here, you can come pick it up. It seems that type of involvement gives you at least a landlord some room to argue for gross sales. I think that summarized what I was was saying. As a last note, the one thing I would say is these times, as we know, are changing. And uh, what I'm going to start and recently have started doing is adding language in my leases that talk about uh, gross sales include technological extensions, advances, refinements, substitutions, and innovations, whatever it is that may supplant, augment, or replace what we currently know as gross sales or how those gross sales are generated. Just some language in there as a catch-all to give you some room to argue down the line if something now happens that we didn't even contemplate, which could happen. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, just we're seeing such a a acceleration as it relates to the convenience of buying um, under this click and collect concept. It's been around, but I, I think it definitely has accelerated over the last two years, especially with you know people working and living from home um, and doing everything from home. So having language that addresses this for further discussion, I think is wise. Um, and I, I definitely think this is one that will stick long-term. Uh, it's not going anywhere. So um, I appreciate that, you know, just kind of walking us through the, you know, step-by-step kind of process of your thoughts around um, and addressing this issue from a legal perspective. Now, we really touched upon two two significant concepts, force majeure, and then of course, click and collect sales and how do you uh, recognize those sales? Um, what would be from your perspective, a legal perspective, the another you know change you forecast or foresee occurring in the next 18 to 24 months that the retail industry should be aware of? Well, I think what I'm seeing in almost every deal now is um, I'm spending, it seems like, more time. And I saw this happen during economic slowdowns. You're seeing more time and energy spent on how a tenant will get out of the lease instead of how to stay in the lease. For example, um, I'm seeing a lot more requests for what are called, I call them uh, tenant early termination rights. And generally, even though you're signing a a 10-year deal, a tenant is carving out or trying to carve out a right to terminate that lease after X number of years, say five years, unless they reach some type of a certain gross sales threshold. Um, That's happening a lot. So in reality, you're not really getting a 10-year deal. You're getting a potential five-year deal. And there's some nuances in negotiating those clauses. You know, for example, what is the measuring year? If, if you're saying you need to reach this gross sales threshold, does that mean if you reached it at any time in that five-year period, in any 12-month period? Or does it mean, you know, in year one or year two or year four or year five, just one specific year? So those are the, some of the nuances that I'm seeing being negotiated in that clause. Yeah, I have to say that, um, you know, with some of the challenges that retailers are facing um, in various, call it, uh, areas, um, it really, the negotiation side of deals and lease negotiation is just taking definitely much longer. Um, And I think, you know, highlighting these three points are really, you know, I think highlight um, why and and therefore you know really being educated but also making sure that any of these discussions that we're having today are are really done with the legal expert involved um, is critical and and I'll be speaking about that here in a second but I'd love to also just ask you Ken if there was you know one piece of advice for either our junior brokers or just our retail, brokers um, in general from a legal perspective, what would that be? You know, I would say in a word, be flexible. 
with these times, the way they are changing, be open-minded and consider alternatives. Um, you've all heard the concept of, you know, that's a deal breaker. Try to take that out of your vocabulary and try and find ways to make deals happen and be flexible, realizing that the concept of gross sales, the brick and mortar stores is changing. And I think landlords need to be flexible and need to change with those times as well. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I always say, if it's a deal breaker, why is it a deal breaker? Help me understand what what the barrier is so we can get to a solution or an alternative as you just described, Ken. Um, So one of our last fun questions, if you could be any brand or retailer, who would it be and why? Hmm. Uh, You know, sports basement comes to mind. I, I like that retailer. I, the reasons I like it is that I, when you walk into that store, first they have just an incredible display of merchandise. They have people who work in that store who are very familiar with their product and knowledgeable. I've gone into that store and I've purchased bikes, athletic wear, tennis shoes. I've rented skis. And there's always somebody there who can tell me why this product is better than the other or not and, and why this product would best suit my needs. And I'm always impressed with that, with that retailer. Um, and, you know, secondarily, they, it's one of the few retailers in this day and age that stays out of politics. And I, and I appreciate that. I'm, t- I'm so tired of the politics and retailers in politics. And they seem to stay away and focus on their core business with knowledgeable staff. One of my favorites. Great. Well, wow. Thank you for that highlight. And uh, I agree. Sports Basement is a great retailer. Uh, they are they know their business inside and out, and they do stay true to um, you know what what who they are and their and their mission statement. So, as a quick disclaimer, I definitely want to uh, make sure that. For our audience listening in, uh, Ken Valinotti is an attorney at law in California. I am not. And so I want to make sure that I'm not constituting anything as it relates to practicing law, but more this is really about an education around what we're seeing and changes we're seeing. So um, please be mindful of that. And as always... We want to thank Ken for his time uh, and sharing these insights with us. It's been extremely informative for myself. I appreciate the knowledge and expertise that you've provided in highlighting you know, what to expect and what we're seeing today um, through the changes in uh, negotiations and how lease language is being handled, etc. So thank you again for um, listening in. And at Collier's, as always, we are focused on our clients and sharing knowledge about the industry on core topics such as this. Um, And we hope you enjoy the discussion as well as I did. And please come back and listen more for Retail Recorded at Collier's next month for our continued podcast series into 2022.